we're in Psalm chapter number 92. If I'm in favor of specific holidays like Valentine's Day and Thanksgiving, I'm not sure if I'm in favor of those. Now, before you start picking up rocks or rotten tomatoes to start throwing at me, hear me out. A husband and a wife should demonstrate love to one another all the time. So, we develop a holiday to remind us of this thing, and we put it on the calendar. So what happens? Instead of showing love all the time, we've got it on the calendar scheduled to do, and so we'll take care of it on that day. Only what happens? We get so busy on that day that we overlook that one day. And so as Valentine's Day passes us by, we think, next year, I'm really going to do something. So instead of demonstrating love every day, we save it for a special day, which we forget. Now, that's not my message this morning, but it's just a basic truth. And let's, let's think about this just for a second. This will be for free here. Um, people need expressions of love every day. You realize that, don't you? You realize you need an expression of love every day. Well, everybody around you, the people around you, need expressions of love every day. Husbands, your wives need to hear that you love them. Wives, your husbands need to hear that you love them. Fathers, your children need to hear that you love them. Mothers, your children need to hear that you love them. Children, teenagers, your parents need to hear Believe it or not, they need to hear that you love them. It is an important thing. And we, we, we'll just put it this way. If we would all get a hold of that and express love to others the way they need it expressed, not the way we want to express it, okay? We often express love the way we want it expressed. That's not how you do this thing. You express love the way the person receiving it needs to hear it, needs to have it expressed. If we would do that, that one simple fact would solve most of the difficulties that you face in your home. If we would just express love the way that people, our people around us need to hear it, the way they need to hear it, if we would do that, it would solve most of our difficulties in our homes. But back to our original thought, don't we do the same thing with Thanksgiving? we as a nation have set aside this one day to be thankful to God. So we save all of our thanks to be given on that day. And what happens? The day is so filled with family and food and preparing for Black Friday shopping that there just isn't time. So at the end of the Thanksgiving day we say, you know what? Next year we are really going to express gratitude to God. It is that one simple fact that is the basic cause of all the trouble in our spiritual lives and therefore the trouble that we face in our churches across the country. We would find the solution to our spiritual difficulties in the daily expression of thanksgiving to God for his work in our lives. Now, with that in mind, we're going to read Psalm 
chapter number 92. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praise unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, and upon the harp with the solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth an a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, O Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes also shall see my desire upon mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desires of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. This morning's message will be pretty hard to outline. Typically, my messages are not very difficult to, to outline, but this is going to be more like a devotional walk through this passage. Now, this is much more difficult than it might seem. Fifteen or twenty years ago, somebody donated, didn't to go to this church, donated a whole bunch of magic stuff to the church. So, a couple of weeks ago, when Brother Hector was here, he uses some of these illusion things in his ministry down there. I said, hey, if you want to look through this stuff, you can look through it, take whatever you want. When we opened up one of the boxes, it was full of flowers. Now, you have to understand, I don't know if you've ever seen these things before, but magicians use a flower that's made out of paper. And they, they're, they're so full of paper that they want to spring open. So you fold them up like that, and they fold almost perfectly flat. But when you open them up, when they open up, they're a ball about that big. So... It's all tissue paper, but it's all under pressure, so it springs open. Well, we had stored these things. We'd stacked a whole bunch of them together, like that thick, with a rubber band around them. Well, over time, inside that box, the rubber band broke. So when we opened the box, it was just chock full of these flowers, because they had all opened up and filled every nook and cranny of this box. Now, I think you can understand that picture when you just read a verse of scripture, if you just read through it and it's just like, well, okay, that was kind of nice, and you just pass right through it, it doesn't seem like there's much there. But if you actually stop and cut the rubber band as it would, as it is, you take the lid off the thing, there is so much there that getting through a passage of scripture like this is virtually impossible. There is no way that we could cover this passage of Scripture to any depth at all for what's in it in the time that we have. So what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of just crack open the, the lid a little bit and look inside. 
because we know if we get the lid off, we'll never, ever get through this thing, and we won't go home today. So we're going to take it through that kind of, that's what we're dealing with here. That's why this is so difficult, because there is absolutely so much here. So if you say, well, you didn't even talk about that. That's right. If we get the lid off this thing, we'll never get through the whole passage of Scripture today. Title of this morning's message, very simple, a Thanksgiving Psalm. A Thanksgiving Psalm. Father, we bless your name. It is our privilege to sit here with a copy of your word. It is to our benefit that you have given the Holy Spirit that he might teach this word to us. And it is the love of the Lord Jesus who has purchased everything that we need. And so we come expecting you to work. Not because we deserve for you to work, for we do not. We have serious needs, Father. Each heart here has serious needs. And in the Lord Jesus, we find the answers. So, Father, reveal the Lord Jesus to us today in a special way in each life. Lord, let no one get by today without hearing your voice speaking in their heart. The Lord Jesus purchased this for us, and we ask in faith in his name. Amen. Verse number one. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, Most High. Have you ever noticed in the world that people who are not avid readers have a very limited vocabulary? When I was working construction, when I was in college, it was dumbfounding to, to, for me to hear a man who would use a cuss word as an adjective, an adverb, and a verb all in the same sentence. The same word. That always dumbfounded me. I was like, wow, how could this be that you would use the same word? Well, he had a very limited vocabulary. But people who don't swear do the same thing. They use the word like in every sentence. They like went to the store and like got some bread that was like really good. Hopefully you're not seeing yourself in that sentence. The word good is also one of those words. You say to somebody, how are you doing? Good. How are you feeling? Good. How was school? Good. How'd that taste? Good. When the Holy Spirit prompted the psalmist to pen these words, the, good, the word good here wasn't some generic word choice because he, didn't have a, he only had a limited vocabulary. The word good here actually has several meanings that we can sum up with three other words. Appropriate, pleasant, and beneficial. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. It is appropriate to give thanks unto the Lord. It is pleasant to give thanks unto the Lord. It is beneficial to give thanks unto the Lord. Try to let your mind wrap around that. It is appropriate to give thanks unto the Lord. Does it bother you when people don't recognize something that you did for them? I think it's funny. In the last two years or three years, at least three different men in, that I know have told me you know, I used to take my snowplow or my snowblower. I think Joe told me this on the other day. 
I used to take my snow plower, my snow blower, around the neighborhood and help the neighbors and clean out their snow. Now, three different guys told me this. I don't do that anymore. Because all they do is gripe and complain about how I did it. Doesn't that boggle your mind? Look, my, I will not complain. You come to my house, <laughs> you're gold right there. I'll just let you have at the snow all you want. In our world, when you do something, even people who don't know anything, know when someone does something for you, someone helps you, someone does something, it's appropriate to acknowledge that thing. My friends, it is appropriate to thank God. It is inappropriate to not thank Him. It is inappropriate to not be thankful to God. It is pleasant to give thanks. You know, it is a common human fallacy to focus on the negative. You can have a thousand things going on in your life, 999 of them are positive, but that one thing is a grit in your craw. And all you can think about is how rough it is. That one negative thing out of a, nine, out of a thousand, and you'll focus on it versus the 999. But when you stop to thank God for all he's done, and when you start reveling in that, you know that negative, irritated thought process it's, that's unpleasant? It goes away. It is a pleasant thing to realize wow, God has been seriously good to me. And when you realize those 999 things that he's done good for you, that one thing that's been irking you is gone. It's like, that isn't even anything. I am so blessed. It is an appropriate thing. It is a pleasant thing. It is a beneficial thing to give thanks to God. If you t bother to take the time to consider what God does for you, you'll find that his care for you has been so perfect that the troubles of tomorrow just disappear in the knowledge of how good he is. Our lives are actually improved by thanking God. We benefit. Get your mind to wrap around that. We benefit from thanking God. It is a good thing. It is beneficial. It is pleasant. It is appropriate to thank, give thanks to the Lord. There is so much that could be said here. We should spend, we've got to keep the lid on this thing so that we just don't get lost here. The flowers are trying to push the lid off the box, but we've got to move on. Look at verse number two and three. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon a psaltery and upon a harp with a solemn sound. The psalmist here is recommending giving thanks and praising God both in the morning and at night. When you were a kid, why did you want your mother to kiss your boo-boo? Remember those days? Is there some medicinal value to your mother's saliva? There is cleaning property in your mother's saliva. That we know. Mom's spit 
will take off magic marker. <laughs> it takes off candy. It takes off dirt off a kid's face. Like nothing else will take off. There's something cleansing property in mom's spit, <laughs> especially right before family pictures. How many ever got a spit shine from your mom? That's, it, that's, there's something chemically about mom's spit, but not medically. There's no medicinal value in your mom's spit. So why did you want her to kiss your boo-boo? Because knowing that your mother loved you made the pain and all that you had to go through in the next little while seem less. It was a help, the knowledge of your mother's love. That act of kissing your little owie gave you the help for the rest of the day. And this is what the psalmist is recommending. Look, the world plays rough, doesn't it? Haven't you found that out? It is tough to walk through the world without getting all scraped up and bruised. But the psalmist says, in the morning, think about the loving kindness of your God. Because if you'll start the day with his loving kindness, you're going to find that kiss helps to solve all of those bruises that you're going to gather through the day. Anything the world throws at you, it's going to make it easier. And then he says at night, you know what you need to do? Before you get in bed, look back over the day. And you're going to find in all those things that happen, you're going to find the faithfulness of God. That God did exactly all those things you were worried about, those things that you they didn't know how they're going to work out. God's worked through them. He's felt He's done all the details. He did exactly what He said. And at the end of the day, you're going to look back and say, "Wow, God does what He says." And you go to bed at night and sleep easy in the faithfulness of your God. He said, "It's hey, in the morning, praise the Lord, considering His loving kindness." In the evening, look back over your day and see the faithfulness of your God. By the way, verse number three tells us that music and singing is a great way to, to praise your God. Verse number four and five. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the work of thy hands. O oh Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. Have you ever seen God at work? So often we get so caught up in the details of, this, of each situation that we're in that we fail to look at his handiwork. But I'm going to tell you, watching God work is a beautiful thing. It is to watch him at work in a situation is mind-boggling how well he orchestrates his work. I could, I could talk for, for days on this. I'll give you one example. I'm not a mechanic type. I can work on cars, but I'm not a mechanic type. Having a car break down for me especially on vacation, is one of those unsettling thoughts. Anybody here with me on that? Okay. So it's one of those unsettling thoughts. 
You know what I've found in my life? Those have been some of the most amazing situations I've ever been in. When God is allowed to show himself on your behalf, even in this. We went to, the kids were just little, we went out west, we went to Yellowstone for the first time. We're on our way back home from Yellowstone, I won't give you all the details of this, but I don't know if you know about out, out in the west, but the towns are few and far between the farther out west you go. The water pump went out of our car. Now, you could be out, in the, this is before the days of cell phones, you could be out in the middle of no place, and we were out in the middle of no place driving through. You know where the water pump broke? We'd stopped at a rest stop, and it broke at the rest stop. Okay, so we have the car already parked before we even know the water pump is out. And they have a phone at the rest stop. So I walk inside the building. I don't walk 40 miles. I don't try to flag a car down. I walk inside the building. And I, we call the, we're out west. Within 15 minutes of where we were at, maybe 20 minutes, there's a dealership for our car. So I call the dealership. They said, we'll send you a tow truck. They send out a tow truck. The tow truck guy shows up and he says, we've got six people here. I can't fit you guys in my tow truck. So he gets on the phone and says to the dealership, get a car out here. You've got people out here that need to be hauled in. So they haul us in. There's a hotel. You can see the garage from the hotel. So they haul us there. They haul us over to the hotel. This is the dealership driving us around, not charging us for this, just driving us around. So we go into the hotel, get our room, and I remember we already had reservations at another hotel. I don't know if you don't remember back in the day, well, they still do this. No refund for any reason. Okay, you, you sign up weeks in advance, no refund. So I thought, well, I might as well call them and tell them we can't come. My phone doesn't work in the hotel room. It won't call outside, so I called the desk. And they said, okay, we'll bring down a new phone. So we brought, they brought another phone down. It doesn't work. So I go down the desk. I say, this phone doesn't work either. They said, well, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to call our hotel just to cancel the reservations. He said, I'll call him. The hotel guy says, I'll call him. So he calls him and says, hey, these people are broke down. You can't charge them for that. You need to give them their money back. You know what that hotel did? If I had called them, they'd have just said, sorry, pal. But the hotel calls and says, you get to give them their money back. Okay, so we spend the night in the hotel. That's nice and easy. We walk down to the, the, the garage the next day, and the guy says, it's going to be mid-afternoon. I said, okay, well, we'll wait. He goes, where are you going to wait? I said, well, we'll just wait around here. He said, you're not going to wait here. There's a park down the road. So they got the car and hauled the whole family down to the park. <laughs> it is a beautiful park. And the kids are playing and having a wonderful time. And one of our things, Carol had bought this bracelet, a, a bracelet made out of rocks. It had holes drilled in it. It was a springy, you know, that springy cord that held it on. She was showing the kids how to skip rocks. There was a, 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 a I don't know if you've ever seen these mountain streams. They are crystal clear, ice cold, and running so fast, you can't even believe how fast the water is going by. So it's this beautiful stream flying by. And Carol says, let me show you how to skip a rock. And she goes to do a really good skip. And can you see what's going to happen here? When she went like that, that bracelet went like that, plop, into the water. 
I heard her scream I come, or yell or whatever she did, and I come running over. And on the way over, I said, Lord, we've had a difficult time here. Do we really have to lose this bracelet? It was a special bracelet. And Carol said, it went there in a rushing, roaring stream <laughs> that's ice cold. I went to this edge and looked down, and there caught in the rock is that bracelet within arm's reach of me. And I pulled that bracelet out of there. I sat on, in a chair watching this roaring stream where the kids were playing. I sat in a chair watching this stream go by. It was full of these golf ball-sized rocks, real smooth pebbles. The whole thing is just full of this. And the verse came to my mind that said, the thoughts of God are like the sands of the sea. And I started counting these rocks. And I lost count. You know, the number got so high, I lost count. And I thought, if these rocks each represented a thought of God concerning this situation, what have I got to worry about here? But it didn't say as the rocks in the river. It said his thoughts are like the sand of the sea. My friend, when you watch the work of God, it's amazing. I say it all the time, I'll say it again. Never have children been so well cared for as what God cares for you. And it is in your problems, in your difficulties, that you find his work more obviously magnificent. Great are thy works, and boy, are your thoughts so deep, the psalmist says. Verse number six. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. A person who doesn't know God or who hasn't watched his hand at work will always come to this conclusion. My way is better than God's. A person who doesn't know God or who hasn't watched his hand at work will always come to that conclusion. My way is better. God tells me to do this, but my way is better. God said I should do that, but my way is better. God's path leads over here, but my way is better. God's solution to the problem is this, but my way is better. It's a very common thought. Teenagers, I came to the left side of the pulpit. I never do that, so I'm over here with you, all right? I know the devil puts this thought in your mind a lot that the way that you're thinking is better than God's. I know that's a very common thought. I also know that in your world, I am an old man. I will not debate that with you. But listen to what an old man says, who has spent his entire life, and I mean my entire life, watching people make these decisions, to go God's way or to go their way. I have spent my entire life watching these decisions be made. Let me tell you this. God's way is always better. Yes. It is always better. I have watched people say, my way is better than God's. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had one of those people come back and say, with their life a disaster, what am I going to do now? And the answer is, I don't have any clue. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with 
a couple, that their marriage is gone. It is a mess and it's gone. And the husband will be crying, the husband will be crying his eyes out, trying to figure out how to get this thing back in order. I cannot tell you how many times parents have come and they've taken their own way and now their kids are a disaster. They're like, what do we do now? I'm telling you right now, God's way is always, always, 100%, always better. I have never in my life, never one time has anybody ever come to me and said, I took God's way, now what am I going to do? How do I deal with this mess? Never once in my entire life have I had anybody who ever went God's way and said, that was a bad deal. It didn't turn out well. I'm telling you right now, listen to an old man who has spent his entire life watching people make these, it's my, been my job to watch people and help them, try to help them in these decisions. And every single time, God's way is always better. Absolutely. Do not let the devil tell you anything different. God's way is always better. You may not see it, but take it from an old man. God's way is always better. Verse number seven. When the wicked spring as the grass and when the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. What this verse is telling us is that evil is short-lived. Evil is short-lived. I love history. Some of you do, too. To study history is to basically study the history of war. And I am a fan, a student of World War II. I, I, that would be my preferred thing to study, is World War II. The Germans... Most of you will be at least familiar with at least part of World War II. The Germans were deciding to, they committed all kinds of atrocities. Following Hitler, they committed all kinds of, just they were barbaric is what they were. Because they were trying to, to put together what they called the Thousand Year Reich. They were patterning it after the Roman Empire, and they were trying to, to build... A, an empire, a government that would run for a thousand years, the thousand year Reich, which means that they would benefit from their atrocities all of their lifetime, and their kids as kids as kids would still be benefiting from these atrocities. Do you understand that? So all these things they were committing, these terrible things that they were doing, well, they would benefit from for a thousand years. The German people would benefit from them for a thousand years. The thousand-year Reich. Now, if you're a student, student of history, you know that the Reich basically started in the late 30s, we could say 39. And it ended in 45, in 45 spring of 45. So we have the six- or seven-year Reich. Now, if you know anything about this, all the guys who were at the top were either dead or imprisoned when this was over. Germany was a disaster for a long time to come. Economic, it was just devastated for the six-year Reich. Now, if they would have told them at the beginning, all right, we're going to commit all these barbaric things and do all these atrocities for the six-year Reich, how many of those guys that have signed up? Nobody. 
Nobody said, well, for six years we're going to benefit from this, which wasn't a benefit anyway, it was all war. We're going to benefit from this for six years. Nobody would have signed up for that. They were sold on the thought that this is a long-term deal. My friend, people every day are making that same stupid mistake. They are siding with evil. They are siding with the devil, and that is very short-lived. You realize that Christ, Genesis chapter number 3 tells us Satan is described as a serpent, and the, the, the Bible says that he will crush his head. The serpent's head, Satan's head will be crushed. When did this take place? At the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This, Satan's head was crushed. Now, anybody here, snake, like, they like snakes? Okay, a few weirdos in the crowd, okay? The rest of us are all about this head crushing. How many have ever seen a snake with his head crushed? Do you know what they do? They keep moving, don't they? You crush that head and they act like they're still alive. They're still moving all over the place. And they look like they're alive. But it's, oh, it's a good thing. It's only a matter of time. Right? This is exactly what's going on with the devil. His head has been crushed. And he's still wriggling around like it's all okay. But Revelation, talking about the end time, says he knows he's only got a short time. My friend, evil is short-lived. And signing up for it and signing up with it is foolishness. Because there is no longevity with it. Mark it down. Evil in any and all forms is a very short-lived thing. Verse number 8. But thou, o Lord, oh, but thou, Lord, oh, sorry. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. Can you not see this verse and rejoice? In our world, the political world shifts as often as the breeze. Powers rise and powers fall. You know, in this world, change is the only thing that doesn't change. But God is most high. There isn't anyone even close to him that's going to be able to challenge his rule or reign. He is the God most high, and he will reign forevermore. Now that sounds like the side to sign up with. He cannot be overthrown. He reigns forevermore. Verses 9 through 13. We're running short on time here. We've already read it. The 9 through 13 are all grouped together. And they, the, the, there's two possibilities. If you scan through there very quickly, look, scan through the verses 9 through 13 very quickly and see if you can catch the two possibility, possible outcomes of a life. In verses 9 through 13. You have two possible outcomes. One, there's two words here, perish, and the other is flourish. Those are your two outcomes of life. You either perish or you flourish. 
I'm always shocked about how fast grass can grow up in the cracks of my driveway. You know, there's nothing there, and you come back, and there's a, grass is six inches tall growing out of that crack. You're like, wow, how does that even happen? I'm also always shocked at, you know, you plant something in my, I plant something in my mulch beds, and it seems like it takes forever for it to grow. It's, you know, it's taking place, and it, but every year it grows a little bit more. But it seems like it's really slow growing. The grass in the crack comes up overnight. But in the plant, in the flower bed, it seems like it takes forever. But you know, there's something I know about the grass that's in the crack. It ain't going to live very long. It's either going to get overheated because there's no soil there, and it overheats and dies, or I run it over enough times with my car that it dies, or I spray it with weed killer because I don't want it there, and it dies. But that grass is not going to make it. It's going to perish. But those plants that are in my mulch beds, they just keep growing. We've got one plant that was only supposed to be five feet tall. It is now eight, nine feet tall. I've got to shave the thing off every year just so I can see it out my windows. Why? Because they flourish. That's the two options here. You perish or you flourish. You know what makes a difference? And it's talking about people here. You know what the difference is? What you do with God. You either perish or you flourish. It's all based on your relationship with God. You are left with the decision, but it's, it's linked with your, determined by your, what your relationship with God that you choose. Verse number 14 is actually linked with those, those verses, but let's read it because it has a special meaning here. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. You know why I like old sayings. The old timers had a saying. They said, being put out to pasture. Being put out to pasture. How many know what that means? Okay. Most, about half the crowd knows what that means. Back in the day when they farmed with animals, when a young horse, you get a young horse, they would teach him how to get in a harness. They would, they call it break him to harness. They would get him to where he could pull whatever they needed on the farm. They would hook him in a harness and they would teach him how to do that. Once he was broke to harness, then he could, he, they would use him on the farm everywhere. However, a horse old age catches up with them too. And when they would get so old that they could no longer pull the plow or pull the wagons, they would, well, some of the farmers sold them to the glue factory. Okay, that did happen. But farmers, some farmers, who in respect for the work that they had done for the farms all of their life would put them out to pasture. Meaning, they put them out in the back lot and they let them eat as much grass as they wanted and so basically they, they no, there was not enough, they couldn't work anymore, they didn't have the strength to work, so they could eat and sleep and just live out there in the pasture the remaining days without any purpose. Eat, sleep, eat, sleep, eat, sleep. That's what they did. They were put out to pasture. In our world, the old timers didn't use that phrase concerning horses. They use that phrase concerning people. He's been put out to pasture. Now they call that outsourcing. <laughs> but, uh, 
that he's been put out to pasture. What does that mean? It means that when a guy has worked so much that he can no longer take the, the risks in business, he can no longer do this, he can no longer uh, push the, the company forward, he can no longer compete in the corporate world, they put him out to pasture. He has no more value. Actually, in our world, they talk about putting him to the glue factory, but that's a whole different thing. They put you out to pasture because you can no longer compete in the business world. And so, okay, just go over there and eat and sleep and do whatever, but we're done with you. My friend, God doesn't do that. This is such a blessed truth. You guys don't understand this at all, but there should be a whole group of people in here that this should be a very blessed truth to. God has work for you to do in your old age. He does not put you out to pasture. He doesn't say, just eat and sleep and do whatever for the remainder of your days because I ain't got nothing for you to do. What he says is, you are going to bear fruit. I've got work for you to do in your old age. You have a purpose, and you will always have a purpose. And you're not going to be wither up and just kind of die away. You're going to be fat and flourishing. <laughs> Don't be looking at me like that. <laughs> you're going to be fat and flourishing. He says, you're not just going to waste away in my service. I've got work for you to do all the way up to the end. You have a purpose in my world. This is such a blessed thing. We'll end here with verse number 15. To show the Lord is upright, he is my God, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Here we come to the crux of our life and the whole purpose of our existence. Verse, in this verse, we find three truths about God. God is upright. He always does right. We have another truth. God is a rock. A life attached to him cannot be shaken. No matter how, what the storm comes up, a life attached to him, he's a rock, and you cannot be shaken when a life is attached to him. And the third truth, there's no unrighteousness in him. He never does the wrong thing. So we have three truths about God. He always does right. He cannot, a life attached to him cannot be shaken, and he never does wrong. And the purpose of your life is to show these things to the world. Your life is, as it were, a canvas to an artist. What does a canvas exist for? For the artist to display his abilities on it. Your life, as it were, is a piece of paper that a poet would write his poems on. Your life, as it were, is a musical instrument to be put into the hands of a master to show what he can do. This is the purpose of your life, to show forth the glory of God. What else could you ask but that? What more could you ask? It is your privilege to show forth the glory of God, to show what God can do in a life that's given to him. May your life from this moment forward show that glory. It's a Thanksgiving song. Let's pray. 
Father, we bless your name.